Let's pray. Father, thank you for the body of Christ. It's a physically embodied community, even as you were physically embodied in Jesus. Your church uh, is a physical community, and I thank you for the way that is represented today. And thanks for technology that does allow people to worship from far and wide. And uh, Lord, as we come to your word, would you help us understand what we just sang about the nature of your goodness and overcome, Lord, my sin and the darkness of my heart today that you alone would be glorified. For we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. And our scripture reading today comes from Psalm 136, and we stand as a community out of reverence for the word of God. David writes, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. And may that God of gods and Lord of lords by his spirit impart to us the truth of his goodness and his love today and in all the days of our lives unto eternity. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So many years ago in 1998, it's Thanksgiving Day, uh, and I am about to run in the turkey trot. I've been training. It's a five-mile race, and I'm really excited. I want to set a a personal record for myself, and so I take off, and I'm running pretty hard, and um, uh, about about halfway through the race, I get this sudden really sharp pain in the left side of my chest. And it's so bad um, that I actually stop running and I kind of move off to the side of the course. And in sort of classic male logic, I say to myself, well, uh, if it was a heart attack, I would have already collapsed. So it's not that. And so how much worse could it be? Probably not. So I just keep running. And it, it hurt the entire time I was running until finally when I quit running, the pain went away. And it only seemed to hurt in the days after that when I would do something physically to exert myself. So I thought it's a pulled muscle. But for, a, for that next month, I just, I could never really get a deep breath. I felt like I was always short of breath. And so I go to Dallas. My sister's a physician. The day after Christmas, I explain this to her. And she takes me immediately to a pulmonologist, friend of hers. He does a CT scan and my left lung is 50% collapsed. So he puts me in a wheelchair and literally wheels me to the hospital next door. They stick a big old chest tube in my side to reinflate my lung, and that doesn't work. So on New Year's Eve, the pulmonologist comes in and he goes, I'm sorry, we're going to have to operate on your lung tomorrow, which is New Year's Day. Now, I don't know about you, but all the good surgeons aren't operating on New Year's Day. My, no offense to all my doctor friends, but the A-team is at home with their family. And so the pulmonologist goes, oh, no, no, the surgeon's really good. And I go, well, how good is good? And is he good all the time? And he says, well, let me show you. And he points out the window of my hospital room, and the name of the surgeon is on the building that says the blah, 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 Center for Cardiovascular uh, Surgery and Education. And he goes, he founded that whole thing. He's probably the best surgeon in the hospital. He just happens to be on call tomorrow. It's your lucky day. And so I, at that point, said, okay, he's good enough. And luckily, the surgery went great. I'm fine, haven't had a problem since. But it's a question 
that you and I are asking all the time about a whole variety of things. We see people post on Facebook, hey, does anybody know a good fill in the blank? You know, we wanna know, do you know a good mechanic? Do you know a good electrician? Do you know a good builder? Do you know a good plumber? Do you know a good professor for the classes I'm gonna be taking? And when someone says, oh yeah, yeah, I know this guy, he's really good. And then your next question is, well, how good is that? And is he good all the time? I'd like to think I'm a good pastor, but I can tell you on Monday morning, I'm south of that. I'm not that great a pastor on Monday mornings. Are we good all the time? And obviously this spills over into our spiritual lives because we cannot avoid asking ourselves a question at different points in our lives. Is God, we hear it. My people tell us, we just sang it. You're good, good, oh, you're good. But somewhere in the back of our minds, we're wondering, is he really? And is he good all the time? And maybe you've heard some pastors will come out and they do that little repetitive thing and I've always thought it was kind of cheesy and I've never done it because it doesn't ring true to me. And that's no offense to anybody who uses it, but the pastor will come out and he'll say, God is good. And the congregation says, all the time. And then I go, all the time. And you go, and I go, why? Because I know for sure that there are some people in here right now who are not convinced of that. And for me to force them to say it feels disingenuous. It means that I haven't given them a chance to answer the question, is he really good? Do I believe that? In fact, it's why so many of the 40 million people in this country who have de-churched in the last 20 years, they de-churched because they decided he wasn't good. And let me tell you, students, when you get to college, it's the first thing you're gonna hear. You are absolutely gonna be tried. They are gonna try to talk you out of what you believe right now. And you're leaving, you're gonna go off and it's the time when you make your faith your own. Your parents and this church have tried to instill faith in you. But what you're gonna hear when you go to college is people are gonna say to you, you actually think there's a good God? Have you looked at the world lately? Do you see all the evil? You see all the shootings? I don't want a God like that. If, if that's God's goodness, I don't want any part of that. You're an idiot for believing in that. And they're gonna absolutely challenge you. And that's, that's where David is in Psalm 136. Because Israel hadn't exactly had a problem-free existence. But he says, give thanks to the Lord because he's good and his love endures forever. It's a psalm that he wrote for worship. It's a, it's a call and response like we just did a minute ago. He says, give thanks to the Lord. And they say back, his love endures forever. And they go back and forth. Give thanks, Lord, for he is good. And then the rest of the psalm is about how he's good and how he's loved them and what he's done. And in fact, he goes through a litany of the history of Israel. And you go, wow, it starts with slavery in Egypt. And he brought them out of slavery at Passover 
when all the, the infant sons of Egypt died and the people of Israel went across the Red Sea and he brought him into the wilderness and he gave him water from a rock and manna from heaven. He took him to the promised land. And you look at the history of Israel and you go, oh, God is so good. Look at what he did. And we could do the same thing in this church. I mean, we could, I don't have time to go through the whole history of First Pres, but people, we've been here 150 years almost. There are many churches that can say that. And we've been vibrant and alive the whole time. And just the last 50 years, we decided to stay downtown when others were leaving and we stayed thriving and vibrant in so many ways. We paid off $16 million worth of debt. We changed denominations for biblically faithful reasons. And we only lost 31 members. We went through an entire pandemic and here we are today in a full sanctuary in a year when nearly 40 babies have been born. We gotta build a new nursery, y'all are having so many babies. Right, and, and we go, wow, Lord, you've been so good. You've been so good, but still, there's a sneaking suspicion in the back of our minds. Why? Because of our personal lives because hard things happen to us. Randy Frazee was a pastor in Atlanta for a lot of years. And his mom at the age of 62 became very, very ill. And he decided to pray the prayer over her from 2 Kings 20, it's Hezekiah's prayer. When he prays for himself and he says, Lord, would you give me 15 more years? And so God granted him 15 more years. So. Randy Frazee prays and he, his mom's 62 and he says, well, I think 80 is a good number. So he prays and he asks God, would you give my mom 18 more years? You gave Hezekiah 15, give my mom 18 more years. And he writes this, God heard Hezekiah's prayer, saw his tears and gave him 15 more years. Now I asked for 18, but he didn't give me 18 more years not 18 months, not 18 days, not even 18 hours. My mother passed away shortly thereafter. And you say, Lord, why did you answer Hezekiah's prayer? And you didn't answer mine. Are you not good? Or are you not good? all the time. And it's been a tough week in this church in Christendom when Tim Keller, arguably one of the great leaders of the Christian church worldwide, dies of pancreatic cancer at 72. And you scratch your head and you go, Lord, why Tim? Harry Reader, pastor one of the largest Presbyterian churches in the country, the day before that, is killed in a car accident. I get a phone call on Friday to pray for a family whose four-year-old little boy, they thought he had hand, foot, and mouth disease. He actually had a strep infection that went into his blood and shut down his organs, and he passed away. Jack Peebles, his dad wakes up, has no more strength in his legs. He's got a brain tumor. Elizabeth Ross, 
melanoma in her foot. How do we answer that? There are answers. Some of them you may not like. But students, this matters because you don't have any guarantees. Tim Chalice is a pastor in Michigan. His 20-year-old son unexpectedly passed away. All of you think you're bulletproof. All of you think you can do anything and live any way you want. But these are questions that you need to think through and answer. Because make no mistake, you will be challenged. And that's why I'm here. That's why Andy's here. My email is open and available. Whatever your professor says to you, I got an answer. And I've done it many times. So let's consider this question about God's goodness. Number one, his goodness. And this sermon's going to go long, so everybody in the tech booth just relax. So it's all going to be good. Number one, God's goodness is not determined by what he does or does not do, by who he heals or he does not heal. His goodness is determined by the enduring nature of his love. And no other God or idol can say that. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. No one can say that. All through Psalm 136, it's everything the Israelites did, including their rebellion and their disobedience. And yet God over and over again said, I will be faithful to the promise that I made to you to be your God and to love you, even if it cost me my life. And we know that it did. The reason that we say that God is good is because of Christ. Because God incarnated himself in order to keep a promise to redeem our lives and never let us go. And too many times when we encounter hardships and things happen to us that we don't understand and we experience loss and we look up and we say, God, where were you? Why didn't you do something? And God's answer is the cross. Do you not know and have you not heard that Jesus is the everlasting God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's given his life for you? Never forget in the challenges of your life that God has already acted on your behalf in order that whatever it is that assails you would never have victory, including death. But God overcame them in Jesus Christ, so we broaden our sights. Secondly, the goodness and love of God is based on his sovereignty. That God, again, in Psalm 136, it says he created the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens and the earth and the sea and the skies. That God, as creator then, is sovereign over all he has made. If he made it, then he controls it. And friends, that creates two problems for us. Number one, everything our culture is telling us that we shouldn't have anybody control us, that we're our own authorities. I wanna be sovereign over my own lives and that's what you're gonna be taught. You're your own God, you're your own authority, you decide and yet God in Psalm 136, he's the creator 
And I would ask you today, as the culture tries to push you into its mold, do you really wanna be sovereign over your own life? Do you actually think that you know best how to control your life and the lives that I, I know I don't wanna be in, I don't wanna be in charge because I don't know what's best for me. I know my desires are flawed. And so I'm so grateful today that he who created the heavens and the earth is the sovereign God of the universe. He's also sovereign in salvation. You wouldn't know God unless he'd chosen to reveal himself to you. You're finite, he's infinite. So I'm grateful that he's sovereign in spite of the fact that everything around me says, no, I'm the authority, I decide. But the second problem that's created by God's sovereignty is the fact that if he's sovereign, then he's also sovereign over suffering and evil and death. And so when hard things happen and when people are not healed, we say, wait, Lord, you're in charge even of that and you didn't do anything. So how do we wrestle with that question? Why? Well, remember Hebrews 2.8 when God says to the author of Hebrews that everything has been brought under subjection to Jesus Christ, though we do not see it yet. The ultimate battle has been won. The prince of darkness still reigns in this world. Sin and death are still part of it. And sometimes, yes, we run into it. And so we, we think about people like Tim Chalice who loses his 20-year-old son and he's forced to reckon with, do I still love God? Do I still embrace God? Do I still believe in God's goodness, even in light of the death of my son? And ultimately his answer in this wonderful book called Seasons of Sorrow, which I'll read from in just a minute. His ultimate answer was, I have to trust him because as soon as we decide to reject God because he didn't do what we in our finite minds thought he should have done. As soon as we reject him, we've rejected the very one and the only one who gives us hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we've just cut off the source of the strength that could see us through the suffering. So Chalice says, yes, I trust him. It's only appropriate this morning that I quote from Pastor Tim Keller. He said, if you're falling off a cliff, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Salvation is not finally based on the strength of your faith, but on the object of your faith. People, what is the object of our faith? It's not how strong your faith is. It's who you've chosen to put your faith in. And his name is Jesus. God is good because he's sovereign. And then third, God is good because his steadfast love is showered on those of us who have done nothing to deserve such love. You've done nothing to merit the goodness and grace of Jesus. Verse 23, the psalmist writes, to the one who remembered us in our lowest state, his love endures forever. See, the word lowest state in Hebrew is actually a legal term. It means that there were people in the culture and society 
who were of such a low position socially that they could not speak in a court of law. They could not stand to defend themselves. They had no standing to speak in any situation. And so what the psalmist is telling us, David is saying that we were in a low estate such that in the courtroom of our God, we could say nothing in defense of our sin, nothing in defense of our rebellion. We could do nothing. And yet God chose, even in our lowest state, to be good to us. It's Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that again is where we run into cultural challenge because in our culture today, what we've been taught to believe is there's actually nothing really very much wrong with us. Because why? Because we're our own gods. We're our own source of truth. And so everything we desire, if I have a desire, it must be okay because that's how God made me wrong. You were born in the image of God, but you were born in sin. And so our desires are not perfect. What we want is flawed. And yet God, even in our lowest state, even in our sin, he loves us and shows us mercy by clothing us in the righteousness of Christ. But see, we think somehow God owes us. We think God was created to affirm our desires when that's never been the case. God was not created to affirm you. God was created to transform you in Jesus Christ. Not that God was created. God created you so that you could then bring glory to him because he desires to transform you and to change you into the image of a son. Not to simply say, oh, do whatever you want. It's all good. Love wins. Right? Well, how does love win? Love wins because love was willing to sacrifice and lay down his life for you in Jesus. He loved us and he humbled himself and brought us to himself even in our lowest state. And then finally, the goodness and the love of God do not preclude us from trouble. And trouble does not mean that God is not good. There are too many cases where we say, oh, my life is super hard. God must be unhappy with me now. He doesn't love me. Or when it's going well, we think, oh, God is so delighted and pleased with how I'm living right now. When neither of those things are true, that's not how God operates. God doesn't operate in your life according to your behaviors. Then you could obligate God to yourself. You could say, God, look at me. I'm being so good. Now you have to do what I want. That is never how God works. Verse 16, give thanks to the Lord who led his people through the desert. Give thanks to the Lord who led his people through the desert. Part of his goodness was that the Israelites wandered and it was hard and it was lonely. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough water. In fact, it was so bad that some of them said, take us back to our slavery in Egypt. We'd rather go there. And yet what did God promise? God never said, I'll be your God and life's gonna be easy, John 16, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. What God's promised you is he'll be with you in the desert. He'll be with you in the darkness and you will prevail through the darkness and the desert. So don't forget in the darkness what you knew to be true in the light. No matter how dark it gets, and no matter how from you God, far from you God may feel, he is never 
never, not in your presence when you come to him by faith. So it becomes a matter of trust. There was an ethicist named John Cavanaugh, a great theologian as well, and he spent three months with Mother Teresa in Calcutta, caring for the sick and the suffering, the poor and the dying. And he went to Mother Teresa and he said, he said, I'd like you to pray for me. And she said, well, what shall I pray? And he said, pray that I will have clarity. And very firmly, the nun said, no, I will not pray for that. Clarity is the last thing you're clinging to and must let go of. Kavanaugh objected and he said, but you seem to have so much clarity. And she laughed and she said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust in God. See, I'm not sure that I agree with all of that in that I think there are times when you you can have clarity about where you're gonna go to college. I had clarity about my call to come to First Presbyterian Church. There are some things where I think God gives us great clarity. But in terms of suffering and evil and loss and grief and hardship, I don't think we get clarity. I don't think in this life you'll ever understand. You'll never know the reasons why hard things happened, but it doesn't mean that God isn't good. Ashlyn McNichol, singing right here. Her father died of liver cancer two years ago. And yet she's up here singing for all of us of the goodness of God. Tim Chalice writes, and I'll close with this. A wise man once said, that the true victory of faith is to trust God in the dark and through the dark. I trusted God as he led me through daylight. I will trust him now as he leads me through the thickest darkness. I may not be able to see the way I go, but I don't need to because my eye is fixed on the one who is guiding me there. He has given me every reason to trust him. He's given me every reason to have confidence that he will hold my course steady until the keel of this weather-beaten little boat has finally nudged against the shore of glory and I am home. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good because his love endures unto all eternity through the sacrificial love of Christ that is with you forever through the deserts and on the mountaintops. And so even in those moments, regardless of the thickness of the darkness, we trust that though we cannot see where we may land, that he who guides us is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is good because his love endures forever.